Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. If you are a return listener, I'd be grateful for your rating or review. And if you dig this episode, give us a like or share. And now, whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a former junior college All-American playing quarterback who went on to play at the Division I level and later coach also at the Division I level. He is now currently the lead mental performance coach for Real Salt Lake and the Real Monarchs. He is also the mental performance coach for the Utah State University Athletics as well as Weber State University Athletics. He is also part owner and co-founder of the Mountain West Elite Sports Camps. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Mr. Riley Jensen. How are you today? Good. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Excited to have you, fellow football guy. Um, I guess we'll maybe start there. You're a, a Division One quarterback, a junior college All-American. They call it the toughest position in sports. What's one thing being a quarterback taught you as a life lesson? Well, I don't know if it's the toughest sport. I don't know if it's the toughest position in sport. It may be quarterbacks' parents that is the <laughs> toughest position in sport. But I yeah. – uh, you know, look, quarterback is a really, really tough position. I think one of the things, if I could go back and if I could rewind, we had a we had a pretty renowned sports psychologist on campus by the, uh, a guy by the name of Dr. Rich Gordon, and uh, he was always saying like, "Hey, come by my office anytime." Like, you know, and I remember I remember being a college quarterback. Just going, Man, ain't nobody got time for that right now. It wasn't that I was anti like sports psychology at all. It was just like, dude, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got film, and I got this. And I think if I, if I could go back and talk to my, you know, 20-year-old self, I'd be like, hey, that one needs to be a priority. Like, that, yeah. that might be a really good step for you to be able to prioritize everything else. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think if there's any regrets that I have about my college football experience is that I didn't take advantage of some of the resources that were around me. And, and it wasn't even a, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't that I had a bad attitude about it. It was, it was more about like, huh, I'm just, I just got to stick my head down. And I got to grind. I just got to work harder. I was the guy that just thought I needed to work harder. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, sports psychology, some of the tools that I teach now, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, that tool would have been so empowering to me. You know, yeah. and, uh, I'm with hard you. work. Let's be honest. I mean, you played, I played, when we work with these athletes, it's hard work to be a Division One athlete. Yeah. It's hard work to be an elite athlete on any level at any sport. Yeah. And uh, you, you need to use all the tools that you can yeah. to, to help, you, help you through this, this wonderful thing that we call sports, right? No doubt. I think I was similar uh, shape as a college athlete. I think I was just, you know, negligent and ignorant to some of the resources or how they might be able to help me in so many ways. I, I knew how the training room could, could help me when I was injured, um, you know, and had no problem taking care of that when they could get me better. Um, but didn't know a lot about other resources. It, you know, you kind of spent time as a, as a coach as well. Loved to, for you to take us a little bit from your journey from, from college coach to uh, mental performance coach. You spent some time coaching and 
kind of take us through your journey and then maybe something that, you know, you really learned about yourself along that journey that, that pushed you really to do what you do today. So just one little, one little other side note to like what we were just talking about. I think yeah. one thing that I think is kind of fun to think about is like the more and more I work with elite and like world-class athletes, the more I realize that these guys are grinders. Like it feels like, it feels like we never make the mistake in sport of like hard work. Like there's very, very few high level athletes that I work with that don't know how to work. There's a ton of them who don't know how to rest. There's a ton of them that don't know how to rejuvenate. There's a ton of them who don't know how to recalibrate. And I think that's kind of what we're getting at with what we do in sports psychology, right? Like how can I be adaptable and flexible enough to like figure out how to recover really well? How can I be adaptable and flexible enough to like, to really, to, to really get the whole out of myself and, and, and play the long game, you know, play the marathon instead of the sprint all the time. Right. But as far as like, you know, coaching college football, some of my story, I mean, I, I played football at Utah state university. When I got done there, I was fortunate enough to get hired as the offensive coordinator at a, a small college called snow college in Utah which is where uh, head coach Josh Heupel for the University of Tennessee Volunteers, he played his college football there. He was roommates with my brother, Casey. And uh, so we've got a little bit of a connection there. A whole bunch of really, really good quarterbacks came out of that school. And I I coached there. And then my offensive coordinator from my freshman year at Snow College, not Utah State, but at Snow College, a guy by the name of Mike Canales, was coaching – um, was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at North Carolina State. And I took a, a really, really fun position to go to North Carolina State University and, and be a GA there and work. I, I worked mostly with special teams, but I always sat in the quarterback room for those yeah. meetings. And Phil Rivers was the starting quarterback there. And there, there was just a lot of really, really fun things that happened there. Phil Rivers – is probably one of the most naturally mentally tough people I've ever been around in my life. And certainly the best leader that I've ever been around. I've never seen anyone who loved practicing and playing their craft more than Philip Rivers. I mean, you're talking about a, you know, a six foot five, 230 pound specimen out of Alabama who, who when we're playing against Duke and back then Duke's, Duke's a good football program now, but back then Duke was, they were the worst team in the ACC, yeah. right? He made it fun to coach on Duke Week. He made it fun <laughs> to come and practice because of his love for the game. I mean, I remember him calling out a, a defensive back out of out of St. Aquinas High School in, in uh, Dade County, Florida, right? Greg Golden. He's like, Greg, I'll bet you don't even touch the leather this week. This is a guy who was like an all-ACC corner. He's like, you're not even going to touch the football. And sure enough, this is Duke Week. Like third play of the drive, he throws a touchdown over the top of, of Greg Golden, and Greg Golden's cussing and hitting the ground. Philip Rivers running down the field, and he's like, touchdown, Wolfpack! Yeah. Touchdown, Wolfpack! And he's just – he was just such a fun guy, and these guys would compete, you know. And I, I heard a quote the other day, like, champions don't win better than everybody else, or, or they don't know – how to win more than everybody else. They know how to compete more than anyone else. And I, that, that fit Philip Rivers to me more than anyone. They, yeah. He knew how to compete. He yeah. knew how to compete. And it was just, that was a, that was a real eye opener to me about 
just the mentality of playing sports. Like, and you know how it is playing a visual one sport. It's, it's like, there's some days where your body just hurts. I mean, I can remember times where my arm hurt so bad that I was hopped up. I was, I was on four Motrin and two Excedrin and I was shaken from all the caffeine that was in me and the, yeah. and just trying to get my arm to like not hurt for practice. And that's probably not the best thing to like share in a, in a podcast. <laughs> well, my, my, my day, they were giving us this stuff called Vioxx. It was great anti-inflammatory and then they pulled it off the market. And we're like, wait a minute. That's what they've been giving us for the last three years. Right. <laughs> and you're like, available? wait a minute. I've been thinking a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And they pulled it off the market. What does that mean, right? Yeah, right. And, and so your body isn't ever going to be 100%, right? You're not always going to feel like it. In fact, most of the time you don't feel like it. Yeah. And, and what kind of mentality can you have to make yourself more committed to excellence? What could, you know, I mean, Phil Rivers was so committed to the team and so committed to his craft. And somewhere I missed that a little bit when I was in college. I, I think I could have been a little bit better about my mentality. Like, God, you get to go play a game that you love. Yeah, your body hurts, but so what, man? It's, it's just, you know, like, let's go play. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day – we put so much science into everything that we're doing in sports and like, you know, are you standing this way and are you doing this? And do you have a flat back and are you in the right position? At the end of the day, football or the sport that you're playing is just like when you were nine years old and you were counting down and you're like three, two, one, and you're throwing it over the top and the guy catches the ball in the back of the end zone and you're like, touchdown. I mean, Philip Rivers was 20 years old running down the field in a practice saying, touchdown, roll yeah. back. Oh, I you know? I know. And as a guy that lives in Denver, they would get annoyed by that. But I was like, man, man, that guy knows how to compete. His teammates love it. He's having fun. And, you know, well, since we lost- I, you know I, I laughed when he first got into the NFL because I think it was – he was a little bit misunderstood. This is a guy – I've never heard him curse – Ever. And if you watch him when he's talking smack, it's like golly and let's go and shoot and golly darn. And and he it was mostly he was having fun with it. Now, yeah. look, I mean, the quarterback at at, uh, at, at at Denver at the time was a little bit annoying to a lot of us. But, uh, <laughs> but I didn't mind him going after that guy a little bit. But, no doubt. Yeah. Um, heck of a competitor. And I think, you know, just, you know. Yeah success leaves clues it's that was one of the things i was going to ask you it's cool to see what some of those clues were with with philip um you're spent a lot of time with, with student athletes as well now uh, with a couple of universities what's maybe the one if you had to say mental skill if all your student athletes could tomorrow wake up and this is part of their routine <laughs> what's the mental skill that they could leverage the most that you see in your experience with them well i think this goes a little bit to like what what we've been talking about is just this, everybody wants to grind. Nobody wants to rest. Yeah. Um, and I, and when I say rest, I mean, you know, just take a step back. You know, I, I talk about headspace and calm the app and like this millennial meditation, this ability to like, kind of just like recalibrate, like take a step back from the sport every single day, give yourself 10 minutes of just like decompression if I, if I could give that tool to everybody, I, and, and if they really embraced it, like I would hope they would, I, yeah. I think that would be a huge tool, not just for everybody in sport, but really just everybody in life, right? Like we're, we're living in some stressful times. I mean, let's be honest, COVID 
the last two years of COVID is unparalleled throughout throughout the history of time. I mean, you can talk about the bubonic plague. You can talk about, you know, the, the flu of 1918, the Spanish flu of 1918, but it wasn't the same in the sense that like we have all this technology and we have all these things that we're doing, right? Like this is a different societies. If we could figure out how to just like center ourselves every single day so that our mind is connected to our body and our body is performing I think we would see like a surge in, in self-confidence, a surge in performance, a surge in like this ability to be super resilient against anything that gets thrown our way. But we don't take enough time for ourselves. We don't, you know, we, all I have to do is ask a, a, a really, really high level athlete to sit alone with their own thoughts for 10 minutes. You want to watch them go crazy for a minute. Oh yeah. Like, I've done an exercise where you just have, have a group of 20, kids sit Indian style without anything in their hands. It's just like, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, right? It's just like, wow, where have we, where have we gone in society where we can't even sit without our phone for 10 minutes? Yeah. I think there's right? a, or, or that we can't even go into nature without service, you know, yeah. on our phone for a half an hour and go on a hike without like, man, I can't wait till I get down the hill. So I just, Oh, what, what emails did I get? What text did I get? What yeah. did I miss out on? Like what's going on in Ukraine? Like what, like there's this, this tension that we've built with this wonderful tool that is our phone. And, and don't get me wrong, like I, I, I'm not anti-social media. I'm not anti-phone. But I am like really, really pro. Like let's take 10 minutes. Let's take 20 minutes a day. Let's take an hour a day and just like really, really get ourselves in the right mindset. Because when our mind is truly connected to this, this body of ours, there's amazing things that we can do. There is yeah. a, and I've seen athlete after athlete after athlete just go through the roof on performance with just a little bit of self care, with just a little bit of recalibration, right? Because they grind so hard, their bodies are in shape to do what they need to do. Yeah, and so if you can, there's so much power in stillness, and I think, <sighs> and I think especially at that age, I mean, looking back at myself, it was like I, I didn't, didn't learn that power of stillness. And I think if I would have, I think I would have understood myself better as a, as a human and as an athlete. And, you know, in that stillness, when you can find that is like, just, it's just you like, and when you can find some contentment in there and um, you know, I, I, I'm glad that was the thing you brought up. Cause I completely agree. I think it's such a, a powerful thing not just for athletes, for coaches too. I think, you know, talk about running into the ground. We know some coaches that, um, you know, the real multiplier for them might be a little bit more, more rest and the right recovery, not being lazy. Like you said, it's not rest and absence from work. It's, it's being able to recover so that when you work, you can get the best out of it. And if we're, um, if we're truly in the mindset that we're trying to play the long game here, like we got to allow this tool, this body, this mind of ours to like properly rest and recalibrate. Right. And it's, it's hard to do. I mean, I, it's hard to, to convince some coaches and some players to realize that that's going to be the best tool because we live in a world where we're constantly graded on like, what, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? Right. But if we can, if we can step away from that and realize that we don't just want to win today and tomorrow and the next day, we want to win for the next year. We want to win the next five years. 
But some of these people are going so hard right now, there's not even a chance they're going to make it five more years. Yeah. There's not even a chance. Their body will break, their mind will break, their spirit will break long before long before they ever get to their ultimate goals because they're just grinding too hard. And that doesn't mean, like you said, that, that you can't put in the work, but you got to put in the work, but you got to be as fanatical about your rest and recalibration as you are about your work. Sure. Right. One other question I had for you is uh, working with the different teams you do. And I think uh, the coaches involvement, different stakeholders in the team. Can you talk a little bit about how, real difference can be made when all stakeholders of a program are invested in mental skills or that process is starting to be woven into things outside just the quote unquote mental skills session you might have. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think that's a really good question. All of my successes as a mental performance coach have come when there's when from, from top to bottom, this is something that they're invested in. It's not, when I have a coach, and I, I'm actually a lot more selective about which teams I use now, and, and listen, I understand that's a first-world problem as a mental performance coach, right? Yeah. But I almost interview them before I go in. Before, it was just like, I'll take anything. I'll take anyone that'll take me. Like, I just want to share the love. I want to I share this mindset. I want to be excited about all this. But now I'm a little bit more, I'm a little bit more selective because if you show up to a team and the coach isn't even there, like, what are we doing? Like, what are, what are we doing? Because if you're not bought in, they're not going to be bought in, right? And if you don't take ownership, they're for sure not going to take ownership into, like, what's going on. And so, you know, I'll, I'll give you a really good example, and I don't think you would mind me sharing this with him, with you guys. But the head coach at Weber State University, they've been ranked in the top ten for the last five, six years in a row. Last year they dropped off a little bit. I see them coming right back. Um he has a degree in sport and performance psychology. And so he's really, really behind it. Every single Thursday for 17 minutes, and it's specifically 17 minutes. I have 17 minutes to talk to the team, right? But for those 17 minutes, he's all in. The players are all in. The coaches on staff are all in, and they're all in. And that's all we have is 17 minutes a week to deliver the message. Well, There's been all kinds of all-conference players there. There's been all kinds of, like, all-Americans at Weber State University because it's from the top down, right? And then I, my approach is from the bottom up. I'm going from the individual so that if the individual is happy and working well, then the team's going to work together well. Then the coaches are going to have success. The team's going to have success. And then we just create this bundle of, like, energy and mentality that can be, like, really, really powerful. But – it's hard. It's hard. And we, with my staff here at RJ Performance Group, we've had a couple of conversations lately about how do we ask the right questions in the beginning so that we're working with the right teams going forward? Yeah. Because if everybody's not, if everybody's not in, it, it makes it really, really difficult. There's also a couple of businesses that we work with that have been all in. There's, um, you know, different situations and different opportunities where when people are really invested in this, there's huge benefits. And then on the individual level, and I, I don't feel comfortable telling you the names of these people, but when I look at the top five athletes that I've ever worked with, mm-hmm. it's because they were all in. It's because 
they were wanting to put in the work. They were listening to these tools. They were putting these tools in their belt before they were going out and slaying dragons every week. And they are, they are slaying it right now. Right. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this analogy, but I kind of look at it like I'm, I'm the butler and you're Batman if I'm working with you. Right. Like we're going to help you to know what the tools are. We're going to make sure those tools are in your belt when you go out to slay dragons and fight against the Joker and Green Lantern and everybody else. Right. And you won't always have to use the tools. Like there's some days where you're just helping a grandma across the street. You're making sure the dog gets out of, you know, danger. But there's other days where you're fighting against a real monster. You got to pull out that tool. But not only are you going to pull out that tool, but you got to know how to use that tool. And so when Batman pulls out the Chinese Batman star and he starts slaying people, he knows exactly what he's doing, right? And my job is to be the butler to make sure that I train you so that when you do need that tool, that you can, that you can use it in the proper way and in the way that enhances your performance and your ability to slay dragons. Because, man, it's hard work. It's hard work to win Division I games. It's hard work to win professional soccer games. It's hard work to win professional tennis matches or golf matches or whatever it is that you're involved with. It's hard work. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a, I had a golf for the, he was just talking to me. We were like talking about some of the tools and like how his performance went the other day. And he's like, he goes, you know, it feels pretty good. Like I played pretty good last week. He goes, but it's freaking exhausting to use these tools. And I'm like, I know it's hard work to win, isn't it? Like these guys that are winning are putting this work in. They just are. It's just, it's, and it's fun. It's, it's fun to see them apply it. It's fun to see because really all I'm, all I'm doing is guiding them in the right direction. And then they're using the tools and they're doing it. They give me a lot of credit, but the credit goes to them for using it. Cause there's some athletes that come to me and we're not very successful because somehow I wasn't able to resonate with them to get them to use the tools. Right. And that's what I'm working on as a practitioner is to get better at reaching more people. Cause those people that I do reach, wow. I mean, the growth is exponential. Can you t talk a little bit? I, you talked about like kind of the rehearsing. Cause I think I always like the tool analogy because I can hand a kid some sort of tool and he's going to know it's a tool, but he might not know how to use it. And can you talk a little bit just about how I think some of the shortest learning curve for student athletes can just be an introduction and a how to, and then, like you said, they've got to make it their own a bit and they've got to, they've got to be able to pull it out of their belt. They can't come grab it out of yours. It's got to be on their belt. But can you talk a little bit about just how some of that beginning trial and error as they work with these tools can really help them, you know, when they're in that moment, they know which tool to go to and they know how to use it. Yeah. So one of the things, and, and, and hopefully I'm answering this question in the right way, if I, if I heard you correctly, but like one of the things that you have to understand about these tools, is these are no different than physical tools that you've learned in your life. Right? So when I'm, when I'm a young kid and I'm 12 years old and I'm learning how to throw a curveball for the first time, like probably not the best time to go out and use that the first time is in a game, right? Like I'm not going to go out and throw a curveball the first time. Like my dad showed me how to throw a curveball, so I'm going to go throw it in the game today. No, you're going you're gonna to work on it. You're going to practice it. You're going to implement it. You're going to figure out that like, man, if I wipe my brow before I put my hand on this ball, there's a little bit more stickiness on that ball, and it makes that ball curve just a little bit more 
coming out of my hands, right? And, and so same thing if I'm teaching you a breathing technique, right? If we're talking about four seconds in through the mouth or in through the nose with a little pause at the top and then six seconds out through the mouth as if you're breathing through a McDonald's straw, right? And then flex your stomach at the bottom to get the toxins and to get the negativity out of yourself. And we're taking those three deep breaths. Well, you're not going to be able to use that in a game until you've actually tried to use that in other pressure situations. Like if you were having a tough conversation with a loved one, was not very forgiving on your first paper when you were in college and you had to go talk to him. It might be a good idea to use the breathing technique then. It might be a good idea to use the breathing technique when you're having a, a volatile conversation with a spouse, right? So you use this breathing technique and then when you get to the game on Saturday, you're like, oh, I know exactly how I'm going to use it now. I know exactly how I'm going to use it when I get up to play and there's 60,000 people in Rocky Stadium, right? And, and I've got to make sure that I'm dialed in and I use my focal point and I look at the baseball bat and the foul pole and then I do a, a deep diaphragmatic breath to like center myself and then I step into that sacred batter's box to hit the ball. Like that's where you can practice these things on the outside, get used to them and use them and then use them in the proper context. I mean, it's one of the things that I have a hard time with like little league sports right now is that everybody's playing so many games. There's not a lot of practice. Right. So when I was young, I mean, I was out screwing around on a basketball hoop all the time. I was shooting behind the backboard. I was shooting like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hook shot. I was doing all kinds of stupid stuff where there was no pressure about my development, but there was tons of creativity going on in that moment. Right. And then I would figure out, like, you know what? The hook shot probably isn't my thing. I'm not going to be seven foot four and be able to do a hook shot in the NBA. However, that little, like, fake crossover move and, like, getting to the right and then hitting the layup off the wrong foot, that's actually a tool I can use, right? So I would practice it. Well, now the reason why I think a lot of athletes from a young age are really, really anxious right now is because the first time that they actually try and implement something is in a game. So I make that little fake crossover move. I think I have the guy beat. I go off the wrong foot to hit a layup, and it gets swatted four feet into the stands. Right. Well, you didn't really practice it yet, right? Like you thought you had it, but you didn't. And it was in a game time situation. Well, now my anxiety's through the roof. Like, man, I really thought that was going to work, and it didn't work. Well, because you haven't perfected it yet. You tried it like three times in the pregame warm-up, then you thought it was going to work in a game. So I think, I think we need, as a society, to kind of practice things a little bit more. Right? I'm, I'm always telling people, when it comes to breathing techniques, okay, I want you to practice. Anytime you feel any sort of stress at all this week, let's practice this deep diaphragmatic breath. Let's practice this deep diaphragmatic breath. And then when you're in this track meet on Saturday – then let's find the right time to put that deep diaphragmatic breath into your routine. It may be just before you get in the box. It might need to be two hours before you start so that you can get in the right mindset for your warm-up. It might be that you do it when you're in the box. I don't know where it's going to be. We got to practice it first and make it your own so that we can put it into the right place. And then you're going to see results. But man, you know, little leagues, I mean, with the exception of football, with the exception of football, 
And football's even getting there right now with all these stupid seven-on-sevens like every weekend, right? But with the exception of football, like teams don't practice very much. They play tons of games. And while that seems great and that's a lot more fun for the young athlete in some ways, we're forgetting about the mental part of the game and the creative part of the game that used to take place through some of these practices. And so I, I'm, I'm interested to see if we can reverse that trend a little bit. Maybe instead of playing 70 Super League games in baseball from the age of like 10 years old, maybe we pay 40 yeah. and practice 30 times during the year instead of playing 70. I think there's obviously athletes, they grow to love the games and the competition, but when you're really falling in love in that kind of romantic stage of sports with kids, it's a lot of that driveway backyard time where, where, where some of that love is kind of, you know, cultured and, and created without adults interjecting. And, you know, it's like, yeah. you don't want them interjecting on your first date every five minutes either. <laughs> like, right. Right. So, you know, right. no, 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 don't do that. Go <laughs> hold her hand. Yeah. You got to make her work for it a little bit. No. Yeah. Go get the door. Go get the door. What are you doing? <laughs> stay out. Stay out. Like stay out of it a little bit. Right. Like yesterday, one of my favorite things, and I'm, I'm 48. I'm kind of raising my own grandchildren. I got, I got married later in life. So I got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. Two girls and a boy, right? The cool, you know what I did for 30 minutes yesterday on the plane? I'm, I'm looking at my like security camera, caught my son playing baseball and basketball out in the driveway. Nice. And I have the ability to talk to him from that little thing. And I'm like, I'm not saying a word. I'm just going to enjoy watching my son Do figure thing. out how to shoot the basketball and how to throw this baseball. And he was playing with a friend cool. and it was just, like, that was pure joy to me. He's a seven-year-old, right? Like, the worst thing I could have done is, like, hey, Jack, make sure you're working on that left-handed layup. Like, that's the worst thing I could have done. I just sat there and enjoyed it. Like, yeah. he needs to learn to love the game because – and I can't – did you play at Northern Iowa? Is that what yeah. you told me? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think about your college career and about how many doors it's opened up for you. College football has been great to you. But I guarantee you, as much as you loved the sport of football, it has taken more than it gave to you. Yeah. It's taken more than it's given. And so you better love it. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to cultivate with my young kids right now, pigs as a mental performance coach, I'm trying to cultivate love. Now, 11, 12 years old, 13 years old, we're going to have to talk to them about work and about what it means to work at their craft. and about. But right now, I want it to be all love, and I want it to be all kinds of exposure, you know. And then we'll start talking about, like, little games where I can get him to shoot a little more shots than he right. shoots. Right? Right. I think that's... And that kind of stuff. And, and kind of trick him into a work ethic, you know. Yeah. And I, I say that in, in quotation marks, right? That's but, like... Thing. Without that love, it's hard to find fun in the work. But when you have that love, you can find fun in the work. It's like... It's like you watch, you know, Steph Curry, LeBron, they're having fun. They're working hard, but like they're, they're still fun. And then that's what, you know, allows them, I think, you know, be creative. And for kids, I just think it's so good to have that. But there's a million lonely moments where they were putting in the work in the gym where oh, nobody yeah. was cared for them. Oh. And, and the ability to embrace the lonely work, right? The ability to like embrace the mundane, the ridiculously boring, like, you know, don't, don't send out a tweet every time, like, you bench press. Like, nobody wants to see that. 
Like, but that is something you should be doing. Right. And don't tweet it out every time you do a workout and you shoot a thousand shots in the gym. Right. We don't need to see a Twitter about it. Embrace that. It's the lonely work. Embrace the fact that it's you like trying to get better at your craft. Right. But that takes love before you can put the work in. Big time. Big time. You got to love it before you can work on it. No doubt. Well, one question we uh, always like to wrap up and ask our guests, you kind of talked about a little bit at the beginning about, you know, going to 20-year-old Riley, but if you got in a time machine and had to go visit 16-year-old Riley out on some ball field, what's the one piece of advice you'd give 16-year-old self that you've learned along your journey and your mental performance? That's, that's, a, that's, a, fun, that's a fun question. I think there would be two statements that I would make. One – one, take care of your tools. Two, know what your tools are. So your body and your mind are two of your biggest tools that you have, right? Like take care of your body, take care of your mind, do the best that you can to make sure that like you're doing everything to take care of your tools. So that goes back to like when I was 12 years old, like really icing my arm and not telling my dad that I iced my arm after practice, right? Going back to like, just like, you know, all these track athletes now, like they got these little boots that they put on to like massage their leg, like they hate it. And I'm like, oh man, you should embrace that thing, man. Like, do you know how great of a tool that is to like take care of your body? Like oh, yeah. embrace it. Like anything you can do to take care of your tools, which are which is your mind and your body, and then and then know what your tools are. And then when I say know what your tools are, like know that smarts is part of your game. Know that hard work is part of your game. Know that effort is part of your game. And then the two greatest tools that you can develop as an athlete to me is bravery and courage, man. Mm-hmm. Because the brave athlete, the courageous athlete takes the shot at the end of the game and he doesn't care whether he makes it or not because he's more focused on the bravery and the courage of the moment than he is on the outcome of the moment. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. My friend's, my friend's son is a good basketball player. We're, we're together in a neighborhood function. And he's like, show me the film. His son hits like a, a last second shot to win the championship game. I'm like, oh man, that must've been so fun for you as a dad. He's like, isn't it great? Isn't it great? And I said, yeah. Make sure that when you talk to your son tonight, that you focus on the bravery and the courage that it took to take that shot, because that's what you want. You want him to be brave enough and courageous enough to keep taking that shot, whether he makes it or whether he misses it. If you can focus on the bravery and the courage of a moment, you can turn any loss into a win and you can turn any win into a valuable moment. For listening, if something caught your ear as useful or unique this episode, we would love your help spreading the Elevate message. You can find me on Instagram at Elevate Educate Rejuvenate. That's with the numeral instead of the A-T-E. Thank you again, and if I can help you with anything, please reach out. And don't forget, go elevate others.